talk to you this morning from Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. It's a very familiar story. I want to go there and try to pull some things out this morning that may be helpful to us in this uh, end of the year, beginning of a new year. And uh, just allow God to speak to us from there today. Is that all right? Okay. Thank all three of you. Amen. Y'all done partied out over Santa Claus or something. Amen. Praise God. Matthew chapter 14. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went on a mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke and answered him and said, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind uh, was boasting and he was afraid and began to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got to the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. Today, I want to talk to you from this text uh, and consider uh, the thought friction in your faith. Friction in your faith. Father, I pray this morning that you would take your eternal word and cause it to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that you would speak to us in these moments that we assemble ourselves together to worship and to lift up your name. Speak to us in the midst, God, of even our storms today and reveal yourself in a new, fresh way to us. And God, we give you praise and thanks for this in Jesus' name and amen. Friction in your faith. It takes friction for faith to work. While Jesus was here on the earth, throughout the Gospels, people called him different things. His foes would call him blasphemer, wine-bibber. They would call him Belzebub, prince of the devil. Those who knew him and followed him would call him Lord, Master, Rabbi, one occasion the disciples, Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? And some said that you're John the Baptist and others said you were Jeremiah or Elijah, one of the other prophets. And then Jesus made it more specific and said, but who do you say that I am? And he said, Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but it's my Father who has given you this revelation. Uh, One of the names that I especially like is that found in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And he says that we know that you are a teacher come from God. Jesus was indeed a master teacher. He, He was one that would teach and he would take every aspect. He never wasted a moment he, he used everything around them to share with them, to speak to them. He, he didn't have access to all the things that modern educators have access to. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have a blackboard or a whiteboard. He didn't have uh, projectors. He didn't have screens. He didn't have all of these things. But he taught through word. He taught when he spoke and he left uh, you in wonder. He, he would left you in amazement as he would speak to you. In fact, they said, never a man has ever spoke like this man. He, he doesn't speak like the scribes and the Pharisees, but he speaks as one that has authority. His word was with power. His word was with spirit. It was with life. It was exciting. He didn't have uh, the word. He was the word. And the Bible said that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and full of truth. That's the reason we've celebrated this, this, uh, this week is because he became flesh. He come to dwell among us. Not only did Jesus teach through word and parable, but he also taught through circumstances and situations and issues and incidents. Whether it be a widow who, as we said earlier, cast her two mites into the offering plate. Or if it was a a fig tree that that would not yield any fruit. Being that that you, you, you looked at everything that he did, everywhere he went, and he used it as object lessons. He was teaching all the time. Every story in the Bible, you dare not overlook any of them because there is a message in the story. There is something that Jesus is teaching in the story. Every occasion, every event, every happening, everything that he he, he did around him, he would use it for for a teaching principle. He would either use it for their well-being He would use it to reprove or to rebuke or to bring doctrine or correction or instruction or edification. But everything Jesus taught through the word, he taught through instance. He he said, uh, uh, I'm going to show you something. And then he would show them and and teach them something by it. He never just taught while he was present, but sometimes he would teach not by saying a thing, but he would teach them by being silent. That alone is a message that we have to learn as Christians, that even when God is silent, he is still teaching us. Amen. God not only teaches in his presence, but he also teaches in his absence. He, he, when he is present, he is teaching. When he is absent, he is still teaching. When he is talking, he is teaching. When he is silent, he is still teaching. So here Jesus combines his absence and an incident to teach his disciples. And he tells them, go ahead of me. And he said, and cross over to the other side. 
You remember in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 6 that the Lord God spoke to them at Horeb and he said that you've been at this mountain long enough. It's time for you to move on. Amen. Israel found a comfortable place and they enjoyed that it felt good and they decided instead of moving on that they would stay where they were. But he could have given them uh, something better if they would just move on. Can I tell you that we have settled for good when God has better? He has a lot better for you and I, but we've got to get up from where we are and go on to where he has ordained for us. We find a good thing and we want to hold on to it. We build shrines around the first experience that we've ever had. And because we, we, we uh, take and build that shrine at that place of first experience, then we think that that's the greatest. But God says that my, my, my kingdom is not established on the greatest thing at first and then regressing back. But he said, I build my kingdom from faith to faith and from glory to glory. He said, you can expect 30, 60 and a hundred fold. The kingdom of God is always increasing. In Genesis, it was a lamb for a man. In Exodus, it was a lamb for a house. In the atonement, it was a lamb for a nation. But when John came, it was a lamb that took away the sins of the whole world. You see, it's always increasing. It's always getting larger. He said the end of a thing is always better than the beginning of a thing. He says the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. God is trying to get our faith in a place where it's always ready, where it's always at alert, where it's always in a position, where it's always ready to respond and move and to go forward. But you see, sometimes most people have to get their faith off of the shelf and dust it off whenever they need to use their faith. Some people have to bring and defrost their faith and get it stirred back up and begin to work it again to try to get it to, to a place where that it is able to use it for what they need in times of difficulty. So here Jesus says, he says to them, let us go to the other side. Faith always has another side. You never get all the answers when you say yes. Huh? You never get it all figured out before you, when you get in the boat. You don't get it figured out because you got in the boat. It's just an act of faith to get in the boat. But as you're going, God will give you the answers. He will give you direction. So he says to them, let's go to the other side. You must just never think that, that what you have is all there is. Because God has something greater than what you have right now. He has something that he wants to give you that will blow your mind. God said it like this, that he will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you're able to ask or even think according to the power or the faith that is working in you. If you have faith working in you, then you can believe God that you're going to go to the other side. Amen. 
If faith is at work in you, you will make it to the other side. We get too comfortable on this side. And some have forgotten and they they get so bored. They got their spiritual hands in their pocket and just sitting around. But I want you to understand today that God is wanting us to use our faith. Follow me. And he said, if you'll follow me, I'll take you somewhere. I'll take you to the other side. Follow me and I will make you something. You see, faith is not something that you just get. Faith is something that you develop. He gives to every man a measure of faith. But then what we do with that faith depends upon how that faith grows. And he said, if you will allow me, I will develop your faith. So he develops faith by sending them into a storm. That's right. God sends them into their storm. This is not Jesus' storm. This is their storm. Jesus had been in storms before. He was once crossing over while he was asleep in the bottom of the ship. You remember that? And the Bible said that a storm arose. And what did he do? He got up and he rebuked the storm and the winds and the waves obeyed his voice. You see, the devil was trying to kill him. Was that storm from God? No, it was from the devil. How do I know that that storm was from the devil? Because Jesus woke up and rebuked it. If it would have been of God, the father, they would have been one in agreement and there would have been no rebuke. The storm would have continued. But you see, the storm came to kill Jesus because the enemy knew he was on his way to go deliver the demoniac of Gadara that had that island all tore up for so many years. Jesus was on his way to set some things straight and cast out that devil. Amen. But I want to tell you today that the enemy knows and he has more faith in you than you have in yourself. He believes in your ability, your gift, your talent and to the place that he wants to bring the storms of life to destroy you. But Jesus is in control of your life and not the devil. And so therefore the storms that are coming into your life, God's going to use every single one of them to teach us something about himself. I know it was sent by the enemy because Jesus rebuked it. But this was not his storm. This was the disciples' storm. He wasn't nowhere to be found. He was in a distance. And God, Jesus, was going to use this storm as a learning tool, as a sermon, illustrated sermon. He was going to use it to teach them how to work their faith because if you, you, you're not working your faith, it is impossible to please God. Amen. Their faith is being worked out in the storm. Faith isn't worked out on the sun. It is in the shores of life. But faith is worked out in the storms of life. So God allows us to get into situations so he can work on our faith. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So he allows things to come to develop our faith. He always works my faith. So I must get used to being in the position where that all of my life I am using my faith. 
Not just when troubled times come, not just when storms arise, but I exercise my faith on a daily basis. He sent them out alone and while they were alone, apart from his presence, waiting for Jesus to join them, the Bible said on the, uh, on the storm arose about the fourth watch of the night. Isn't that something? Jesus sends them out there. The sun is shining, no storm in sight, and they get in the middle of the sea and the storm arises and Jesus can't be found. Have you ever been there? Left believing that you're following God with all of your heart. Believing that he's the one that spoke to you and said, go to the other side only to get into a storm of life and you can't find Jesus. Oh, don't look at me religious. I'll come right down there where you are. Because if you haven't been in a storm and you couldn't find Jesus, it's because you haven't been saved long enough yet. But I promise you, I promise you, If you stay saved long enough, there'll come a storm in your life and you'll look around and say, where is he at? Job said, I looked for him and I could not find him. I looked to my right hand and he wasn't there. I looked before me and I couldn't find him. I looked behind me and he was nowhere. But he said, I looked to my left and he was at work, but I perceived him not. You see, God, the right hand speaks of authority. The future obviously is behind us. Our past is behind us. Our future is ahead of us. But the left side, the left side is the weak side. The left side is the side that nobody is watching. But God's an ambidextrous God. He can work with his strong hand as well as his weak hand. And even though people may not be able to see he's at work in your life, I promise you God is still at work in your life life. Even when the storms are raging, even when it cannot be found, he's still at work on your behalf to work all things according to his will and his purpose and for your good. Tell your neighbor he's at work for you. We all have storms and just because you attend a wonderful church and get great word and have great faith is not going to exempt you from having storms. Some will be financial storms. Some will be relational storms. Others will have emotional storms. Some will be physical. Some storms will be outward while others will be inward. Some will be, it will look like that everything on the outside is going good. Your finances, your relationships, your emotions, are, they all look good on the outside. But on the inside, there's a turmoil that is tearing you apart. Some storms are public while other storms are private. Some storms whole nations go through. Some storms churches go through. Some storms families go through. But there are some storms that couples go through. And then there are storms that individuals go through. Nations can rally together and get through a storm. Churches can come together, believe God, and get through any storm if they're united. Couples can get through the storm if they are coming together in agreement. God can get you through it. But the most difficult storm that you will ever face in your life is the one that you deal with alone. 
the private struggle, the one that nobody even knows about. It looks good on the outside, but on the inside there's turmoil, there's difficulty, there's a raging of the storm, and you're looking where God is in all of this. Huh? This is life. Life is always moving. Life is always changing. It's not to say that God is changing. His word never changes. It is, it, it, but yet this world is unpredictable. And it starts out in the sun and you end it in the storm. Notice when the storm came. The Bible said when they were in the midst of the sea. Things were fine when they left. But they got in the middle of the sea. And the storm arose. Have you ever started out and the storm arose? You had already got too much invested. You'd already gone too far to turn back. But you look ahead of you and you can't see what you started out to get. You couldn't see what you started out. You started out on the other side, believing for what was on this side. But now you can't even see this side because of the storm. And you cannot figure out where Jesus is. Amen. You started out, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Huh? Y'all ain't going to help me none at all today, are you? I'll just preach to the TV. Amen. Just row, row, row your boat gently down the stream and everything is fine and hunky-dory. And all of a sudden the clouds start rolling in. Huh? The storm begins to arise. The turmoil begins to set in. And you wonder, what am I going to do? The Bible said the wind was contrary. The word contrary means resistance. It means conflict. It means to be contentious. It means attention, opposition, and friction. You may find it's hard to believe or accept, but faith needs friction to work. If you don't have friction, you don't need any faith. But I realize that no one wants tension, no one wants friction or strife. But these things can motivate you to move from where you are. Have you ever had a restless night? Fidgeting in the bed, trying to find that comfortable place, moving around, trying to find that place of comfort, that place where you can go back to sleep. But all you find is discomfort. It will cause you to roll. It'll cause you to flip. It'll cause you to sit up and lay back down. It'll cause you to make noises. Because you want somebody else to know you ain't happy. Huh? But in this discomfort, it dislodges us from that place to where we will move. Sometimes God does that in our faith because he wants to develop us. He wants us to realize that even though that we've got a comfortable place, there is a better place. And he will allow discomfort to come to us. He will allow these things to take place in our life where we will get a restless spirit, where we will begin to shift, where we'll flip, where we'll move forward. Amen. You say, well, what do you mean, pastor? I'm telling you this. I'll tell you the old, the old adage of the coach. If there's no pain, there's no gain. And I did not like that. Whenever the coach would tell me, Matthew's no pain, no gain. I said, yeah, but you ain't the one puking. 
Huh? These kids these days can't take it. Talk about my legs hurt. <laughs> my coach didn't care if your legs hurt. It wasn't until you puked and then you clean yourself up and get back in there. I don't know why I told you that. Y'all don't care. Amen. <laughs> but it's the truth. I didn't like it, Brian, while he was doing it. But come game day, I was ready for my opponent. Not only ready, but I could outlast my opponent. Because he had prepared me in times of practice for what I would face on the field. What are you saying? I'm telling you today that if you don't exercise your faith, you'll not be ready for your opponent. But whenever you exercise, no pain, no gain. Yes, we don't like the turmoil. Yes, we don't like the shift. We don't like the mess we have to go through. But it's preparing us that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the spirit of the Lord, it's not going to, he didn't say it would ascend down. He said it will rise up. Why? Because you've exercised your faith. You've got your faith to a place that your faith says, hey, I ain't going to take this anymore. You may have messed with me last year, last month, but I ain't about to stand for I've got my spiritual strength. I've got faith in my heart and I'm going to dare to believe God to do something great in my life. You can outlast your enemy when you exercise your faith every day. If you don't keep working your faith, your like muscles, they will deteriorate. Your faith will shrink. It'll wither. It'll shrivel. It'll degenerate. Why? Because you haven't exercised your faith. Faith without works is dead. Those that have done great things for God were always encountered with difficult friction and resistance. You know, everybody wants the faith of Joseph, but if you want the faith of Joseph, then you've got to go through the pit. You've got to deal with Potiphar's wife. You've got to deal with the prison. But on the other side, you'll have faith to believe God for every step of your life. Other people want the faith of Moses. But if you want the faith of Moses, you've got to deal with the Red Sea. You've got to deal with Pharaoh breathing down your neck. If you want the faith of Job, you've got to lose everything. You've got buried 10 children and say, though they slay me, yet will I trust him. If you want the faith of David, you've got to face a lion and a bear when nobody is there to impress so that when you come before a nation you can have the blessing and the favor of God to come upon your life and destroy an enemy in the face of a nation. If you want the faith of of the three Hebrew children, you've got to walk through some fiery furnaces all by yourself. But then you'll go into the fire believing Jesus will show up in the midst of the storm and say, peace be still. Amen. If you want the faith of Daniel, you've got to be able to walk into a den of lions and say, you shut up and get over there and lay down. I'm about to have me a rest. I want to tell you today, it is here that kind of faith that if we're going to do anything, there's got to be friction for faith to work. Friction for faith to work. There's those who have been accused of not having faith because they don't have money. Others have been accused, well, if you had faith, you would have a Mercedes, Bentley. Huh? 
you got a Mercedes or Bentley, God bless you. But if you don't, God bless you. Huh? Your faith is not determined by what you drive or what size of house you live in. Huh? You've heard it. If you had faith, you would never be sick. If you had faith, you would, you would never be unemployed. You wouldn't be broke. You'd always be smiling, shouting, and dancing. Huh? But, but, but you can't measure people's faith by how many CDs they've got investments. You can't measure a person's faith by the size of their car or their house. You see, this type of preaching has distorted the truth because the truth of the matter is that you have to use your faith to survive. Sometimes you have to use your faith just to endure. Sometimes you, you, you have to use your faith. Talk of vacation. I'm not worried about a vacation. I'm worried if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. What you talking about? I don't know. I, I, I'm just using my faith for survival. I've come to jerk the cover off and reveal the truth and tell you contrary to a a popular viewpoints of the American church, the saints of God have struggles too. They go through difficult times just like the world does. The Bible said it's going to rain on the just as well as the unjust. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver them out of them all. Praise God you, you when you're using your faith Sometimes you have to use your faith just to survive. But I want to tell you, because you don't have a big car, a big house, it doesn't. But I want to tell you, sometimes the test proves that you do have faith. Because cancer did come. But you're still here, a testimony against the devil to say greater is he that is in me than the world that's come against me. Amen. The the, the test of time, the struggles of life, the friction that comes against your faith, it proves that you have faith in God because other people would have given up. Other people would have checked out. Other people would have said there ain't nothing to it. But you stood by night in the house of the Lord. You took a licking and kept on ticking. You kept on praying. You open that window like Daniel and said, I'm going to keep on believing that God is going to make a way somehow. Praise God. You see, in the friction of your faith, God will begin to reveal himself in your life. Faith doesn't have anything to do with your education or how smart you are. Amen. I believe that every believer must have their faith tried. Whether you live on the east side or the west side, whether you black or you white, you rich, poor, you're aristocrat, you're influential, you're educated or illiterate, your faith must have friction for it to work. Regardless of how much money you have, regardless of how much tithe you pay, regardless of the gift or the talent that you have, you're going to have to go through the fire afflictions for your faith to be tested. 
I'm not talking about a little brush fire that someone will warm their hands to. I'm talking about a four alarm fire, an inferno that will wake you up in the middle of the night. Something that will cause you to gut wrenching, nail biting, hair pulling, walk in the floor kind of test that will say, I know I don't have the answers, but somewhere in this thing, I know God is going to work it for my good. I know that these difficult times are around us and I know that that, that God somehow you're going to make some sense out but right now I don't see any reason at all for this thing to be taking place in my life. Real faith isn't proven on the playground of life. Real faith is proven in the storms of life and it's in those storms that we don't give up, we don't quit but no matter how hell or high water, how difficult it gets you can find me standing by night in the house of the Lord believing God for the thing that he said he was going to take me to. Your faith doesn't keep you from the fire. Your faith keeps you in the fire. Huh? I'm not preaching some prosperity message or some TV Hollywood spirit. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Think it not strange when fiery trials come upon you. Concerning the fiery trials that come to test you, don't think it as some strange thing has happened to you. God never promised that he, you, you wouldn't go through anything. He just promised I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. Amen. He said, when you pass through the waters, that they will not overflow you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overtake you. When you walk through the fire, it shall not kindle upon you and you shall not be burnt. But he said, I'll cause you to come out into a blessed place. Amen. God may not keep you from the fire, but he will be the thermostat in the fire. Amen. He will keep that thermostat under control. He'll tell the devil, you can push them this far, but you ain't going to push them no more. He told Job, I put a hedge around him and you can't touch him, huh? You can't touch him. You can't touch his family. But God allowed him to go so far. But Job would not turn his heart away from God. He kept on believing him. That's why I, I understand today Psalms 34 and 19 when he said many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver them out of them all. He told us in John 16 and 33, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He said We're, we are troubled on every side, but yet not in distress. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cut, cast down, but not destroyed. Why? Because we're just going through this fire. There's friction, so my faith can be working, but I'm going to the other side. Jesus come to him, and he showed up walking on the water. How many realize Jesus didn't have to walk on the water? He could have just showed up in the boat. There he is. Why did he walk to them? Because he's teaching them. He showed up, just showed up other places before, but he he was teaching them something in this process. 
he was walking in this process of getting closer and closer. And the longer the storm goes, the closer Jesus gets to them. The presence of God was made known in the storm. He wa- he's walking on the water. He's walking on the same storm that threatens them. He is walking on the thing that they're afraid of. And what was over their head was still under his feet. And when they saw him, they were afraid, thinking it was a ghost. Two things here. We get messed up because when he shows up in a way that we, we didn't expect him to. When he came through a different door, a different measure, a different person, he sounded different than what he sounded before. Then we get fearful and say, that's not God. But I want to tell you that as longer you walk with God, the longer that you fellowship with him and the longer that you begin, that the faith begins to rise up in your heart and you exercise the faith, you won't care what door he comes through. You won't care what he sounds like. You're just thankful that he's in your presence and his presence is enough to take you to the other side. The second thing that I want to point out here, they had been gone for hours, not days. He hasn't been gone so long until they forgot what he looked like. But watch this. The storm makes you question everything you know. Pressure causes you to question what you believe. Huh? Is it true? It happened to John the Baptist. He's the one that announced Jesus was the son of God, huh? On that sunny day on the side of the beach, he cried out and said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Here he comes. He got that revelation in his heart from God, but now he's not on a sunny beach. He's in a prison cell. It's dark. It's isolated. The storm has come. The clouds are raging in. And he says, uh, which gets at one of his disciples and calls them over and says, go ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? But the thing that I want you to see is in the storm, you see him in a different way than you've ever seen him before. I said in the storm. He reveals himself in a different way than you've ever seen him before. There are things that you learn about God that when you awake at two o'clock in the morning that you'll never hear or ever see in the middle of the day. There are things that will wake you that you will will know him in a fashion and in a new way that you'll never get from my preaching. You'll never get from the singing. But in his presence, you experience him in a brand new fashion and a brand new way. Jesus shows up and says, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. He doesn't say that after the storm is over. He says that while the clouds are still rolling. He says that while the thunder and the lightning are still flashing. He says that while darkness is all around and the waves are still crashing against the boat. And Jesus says, be of good cheer. And I don't know, but I'm just fleshly enough to believe one of them probably said, you want me to be happy and the storm is about to kill us. Have you ever felt like that? 
I ain't got no real people up in here today. You tell me to be of good cheer and look at this storm. You're raging all around us. They're blowing everywhere. But he said in the middle of it, right in the face of it, be of good cheer and be not afraid. The presence of God alone ought to be enough for us to deal with our crisis. God shouldn't have to pay our power bill to show us he's God. God shouldn't have to give us a new job to prove to us he's God. He shouldn't have to show up and say, looky here, I'm going to do this for you. So we would know that just his presence alone ought to be enough. That if I don't get the car, if I don't get the job, if I lose it, I, I just got your presence. I know it's enough for me to get to the other side. Amen. Your son may still be on crack. Your daughter may still be running the street. Your husband may still be acting a fool. But if God shows up in your situation, just his presence alone ought to be enough to you to understand. I'm not staying here in this storm. I'm about to go to the other side. My son's about to be delivered. My daughter's about to straighten up. My companion's about to come in. Why? Because if his presence is here, this storm is about to shift glory to God you see Peter gets personally involved he Peter says Lord if it's you Lord if it's you faith will always have an element of uncertainty huh faith don't answer all the questions You can wrap it up in whatever religious lingo you want to wrap it up in. But at the end of the day, faith is risk. Huh? It is faith. It don't take faith for you to do something that you're 100% positive is going to work. It takes faith when you're at risk. God, uh, the best of my ability, I'm hearing your voice, the best of my ability. I've prayed, I've read your word, I feel like this is what you're saying, but I don't see how it's going to happen. But I'm just going to dare to trust you that I'm going to the other side. Huh? And whenever we do that, it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be no storms before I get to the other side. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to face trouble and obstacles on my way to the other side. But it does mean that God is going to show up in the midst of it. Amen. We, I, I've been preaching long enough in the ministry long enough. I know that the greatest rewards that I've ever had is whenever there was uncertainty in my heart. I believe that I'd heard from God but wasn't sure how it was going to work out. But I say, God, I'm praying about it. I'm doing prayer. I'm not acting stupid. I'm doing it prayerfully. I'm doing it in his word. And then I step out into nothing and and dare to believe God. God, if you don't show up, I'm going to look like a fool. This is on you now. You didn't stop me. You didn't tell me not to. I'm about to step out of this boat. Come on. Amen. And whenever you do, his faith will show up in the midst of your storm and he will reveal himself in a way you've never seen him before. And the reason why some people's knowledge of God is so limited is because they're always staying in the boat 
But if you want to know God in a way you've never seen him before, just allow the work of, of friction to operate in your life until faith begins to be exercised and he reveals himself in a new way. Because you see, if, he, if you need him to be healer, he don't show up as provider. But if you need him to be provider, he'll, he don't show up as healer. He reveals himself in the facet in which you need in the storm that you're in. Amen. And so he reveals himself in the midst of the storm. He will switch up on you. He may speak over you, you, over you today and bless you. Amen. In a way... And then tomorrow, he blesses you in a different way. Let me say it like this. He may speak over you and say, blind eyes healed today. And tomorrow, he may... And spit in your eye. Huh? He always changes it up. He just gets the job done. And if you'll dare to trust him, he'll get the job done. Notice that what he said, he he said, your faith must be flexible. I don't know how he's going to do it. I just know he's going to do it. In the end, he will speak and not lie. All things work together for them who love the Lord. Notice the rest of this. If it's, it's you, bid me come unto you on the water. There should be something in your faith that causes you to want to do what Jesus does. There should be something in your faith that causes you to want to do what Jesus does. What did Peter do? He just said, Jesus, if it's you, I want to do what you're doing. What did he do? He walked on water. Right? I believe greater works than these shall you do. He said, if you ask anything in my name, huh? I believe these signs shall follow them that believe. Amen. Simon said, if it's you, Jesus said, come. And he walks on one word. He doesn't ask about a towel. He doesn't ask, should I come with my sandals or take them off? Whenever Jesus said, come, he just crawled out of the boat. Amen. He wasn't asking other fellas, fellas, what do you think about this? Do you think it's him? Should I do it? He just crawled out of the boat on one word. With one word, he went from being a spectator to being a participator. Today, you have people running around after service. They, they oh, you know, I don't know about you, but they come up, Pastor, do you, do you have a word? Do you go, I go preach somewhere. Do you got a word for me? I said, I just gave you 45 minutes of word and you think one more word's going to fix you? 66 books and you asking me for a word. I get off of that. Huh? I'm telling you today, his word is alive. His word is powerful. Amen. And if we'll just grab hold of one word, it'll give us, sustain us in the midst of the storm. One word, Peter crawled out of the boat and started walking toward Jesus. Glory to God. He gets out on the water and starts walking. He takes a risk. Faith always demands a risk. It requires the potential to fail. Amen. Uncertainty. Yes, but faith is there to reveal himself. And when we do, 
that, he will always show up. He started out okay. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, everything was all right. But now his eye gates get him in trouble. He starts looking to the waves. He starts listening to the storm. He sees and begins to feel the salty water slap him in the face. And when it does, he begins to be torn on the inside. And all of a sudden, there's a struggle. There's friction in his faith. Has the enemy ever come to you to give you a discourse on what if? What if you try it and you fail? What if you don't get the job? What if they foreclose on the house? What if the cancer comes back? What if you can't operate anymore? Amen. I believe that Peter started thinking too much and he gives way to his flesh and his feelings instead of what his faith has told him. And he become fearful and he began to sink. How do you begin to sink? You either sink or you don't. But I like it because it said he began to sink. But even though he began to sink, he had good sense enough to know to call on Jesus. Now I want to tell you that the enemy will come and he'll say, oh, you need to be embarrassed. You ought to be ashamed. You tried it and it didn't work. He wants to humiliate us. But if we step out in faith and the thing we begin to sink, we ought to have a good enough sense to call on Jesus and say, Jesus, here I am. I need your help. I need you to rescue me. What I like about the story, it doesn't say that Jesus picked him up, carried him back to the boat, but the Bible said they went back to the boat. Glory to God. It tells me that when Jesus got there, his presence gave Peter enough faith to rise up and start walking on the water again. I want to come to somebody today and tell you, you may have started out and it feels like you're sinking, but just his presence will sustain you, will give you strength to get back up on top of the water and walk back to the place that God has ordained for your life. Hallelujah. He gives power to the faith. The devil was getting ready to have a party. (laughs) The imps were gathering up, amen, all of the whistles. The demons were baking a cake. Hell's hounds were gathering the candles. But before they could get the party together, Peter called on Jesus and Jesus rescued him from the storm. I want to tell you today that if you'll keep your good mind in the middle of the storm and call on Jesus, he's not afraid of the storm. He'll show up in the storm. I come to tell those who are drowning today and have fear in your hearts and have uh, fretting and fainting in your spiritual mind that if you'll just call on Jesus, he will show up in the storm. Because you see, God didn't come and send Jesus just to give you power 
when everything was going good, but he sent him to give you power when everything was at its worst. Amen. He come to give you power when you, whenever it seemed like you were getting sicker. He come to give you power whenever the pain persisted. He came to give you power when the enemy was mocking you. He came to give you power just to bounce back and say, I'm not checking out, but I'm checking in. He come to give you power that when all of hell was assailing against you, you could break the holds of hell and say, I haven't come to live in this storm. I've come to go to the other side. Jesus took him by the hand, the Bible said, and they walked back to the boat. Jesus didn't carry him. He let him walk on what he was fearing. There's not one storm you'll ever face in this life that God doesn't have a miracle ready for you in the storm. You aren't going through that storm for no purpose or no reason. You're going through the storm so God can reveal himself to you in a way you have never seen him before. And he can give you a miracle that will cause that friction not to be worthless but faith to work. So that you can receive what he has for you. So I refuse to waste the storm. <laughs> I don't like to go through them. And if I'm going to have to go through it, I'm sure enough going to come out with more than I went in. I'm not coming out beat down. I'm not coming out cast down. I'm not coming out destroyed. I'm coming out on the other side with my miracle. I'm coming out with a greater revelation of who Jesus is than I ever had before. When I come out on the other side of this faith fight, I'm going to have something that I've never had before in my arsenal to destroy and annihilate the work of the enemy against my life. Amen. Jesus took him by the hand and went to the, to the back to the boat. Say what you want to. But for the rest of his life, he had bragging rights. For the rest of his life, I'm the man who walked on the storm. Nobody else could brag about it, but Peter could. Huh? Can you imagine telling that to your kids? You know how it always gets bigger than what it was. By the time the grandkids got there, those storms were 58 feet high. The boat, I had to crawl up this wave just to get to the top of <laughs> But sure enough, Peter was the one that had bragging rights. But said, kids, remember, I was on my way and fear got in my heart. I began to sink and I called on Jesus and he showed up and don't you know, we walked back to that boat together. Sometimes in your life, you just need something to brag on to your children, your grandkids, those who are coming up from behind you so you can have a testimony against your enemy. That God has been faithful to me, to your mama, to your, our family. And he's revealed himself in our lives. And if he did it for me, he's going to do it for you. He doesn't change. 
He put Peter back in the boat where he, in his place. I got to praise him today because in the middle of the storm, I find my place. (laughs) I find my place in the middle of the storm. This is where you have to listen to Jesus. He said, meet me on the other side. He predicted their outcome. Huh? He predicted their outcome. There's enough power in his word to get you to the other side. But you've got to raise your faith up and begin to operate in the midst of friction for your faith to take you to the other side. What I like last about it, the Bible said when they got back to the boat that they all worshiped Jesus. Amen. After the storm was over, after Jesus came and got back in the boat, there was a worship party. Whenever God delivers you, when your faith goes to another level, you should always have a worship party. Celebrate what he has done. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, Jamie. Help me today. When they saw Jesus, what he did for Peter, they worshiped. What about you today? Are you going to waste this storm? Are you going to waste the storm? Are you going to waste the friction, the trouble, the difficulty? Are you going to allow it to work its work in your life? Faith rise up. Jesus reveals himself like you've never seen him before. And because your faith comes to a new level, because you know him in a way that you've never known him before, now you go to the other side. He didn't call anybody to drown. He never called one person to go into the ocean and never come out on the other side or turn back. He always calls us from glory to glory, from faith to faith. So today, if you're here and you're in the midst of the storm, don't waste the storm. Allow your faith to rise up. Friction causes fire. And in the midst of your fire, Jesus will be revealed in a greater level than ever before. Stand with me today.